Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? <laughs> this is like a family reunion. I love it, girls. I love Impact Girls getting together. Good morning. You got something for me? Oh, cool. <laughs> All right. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Good. I missed you. <laughs> It's been a long time for me, so I, I pray everything um, is going well for you. How many of you feel like summer's just about over? Oh, okay. I know. I have to check my heart here because sometimes I get kind of sad. But let's go ahead and find a seat. Get going. I know I have more material than I have time, so <laughs> I want to get started with you. All right. Well, many of you have been asking, how was our sailing trip? And I said, well, we're Waldhart, so we usually have at least one adventure. And we did. Um, we left on July 19, and if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was the day that the Jenison got hit really hard with that storm. Okay, well, we were so excited because the weather apps that we use showed absolutely no rain, no winds, nothing on the horizon. I didn't check the radar. That was the only problem. But we had our very best first sailing day Ever. And we were so excited. Yes. But we went all the way from Muskegon to Portage Lake, which is almost to Frankfurt. We'd never been able to do that before. So we were just like so excited. Motored into this beautiful lake, Lake Portage, Portage Lake. And it's dark because we traveled 12 hours that day. And we drop our anchor. And um, my husband's kind of getting everything all closed up. And he, he yells down, I'm down in the in the salon downstairs, and he's a carrot. He says, uh, there's a lot of lightning on the horizon. Better check, better check the radar. <clears throat> I have never seen so many colors on Doppler radar. And I, I maybe probably should have investigated that a little bit, but I was like, oh, well, what are we going to do now? We're on the water, and we're anchored. And so we just started making sure everything was really closed up. Well, about 1130, picture this. We're on this beautiful lake not a ripple on the water. And up until now, there have been stars in the sky. And it's 11.30, and it literally sounded like a freight train roared in. And we went from standing up straight in the water. We have a 35-foot mast. We went from this to this in an absolute instant. And we were hit broadside, which is not good in a sailboat, okay? Because sailboats turn into the wind, and now the bow is splitting the wind, and you're, and you're safe in higher winds. We were laying the boat down. Everything's flying off the walls. We're hanging on. And I mean, we looked at each other and went, what is happening? And my husband says, why isn't the boat turning? I said, Jesus, turn the boat. <laughs> and the name of our boat is Blessed, Okay. And, uh, and then after a few minutes of this laying over, all of a sudden we just slowly turned into the wind. And it kept roaring, but we were at least upright. And this went on. And I've, after it was all blown through and everything, um, my husband said, okay, I have to make sure the anchor held. Blessed with, stood the test and the anchor held. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, ladies, <laughs> I've been speaking to mixed groups. Ladies, impact ladies. Jesus is our anchor. And even if you get hit broadside by something that you didn't see coming and you didn't expect, your anchor will hold if you're anchored in Jesus. 
And we just thank God. And we had a few other things that happened. But after the third day, I said uh, uh, to my husband, I said, I'm all done with adventure. Let's just have a nice, boring, relaxing vacation. And we did. So the worst thing that happened is that we got um, stuck on Mackinac Island for five days. Yeah, it was really, it was really rough. If you're going to get stuck anywhere because of the weather, Let's just go to Mackinac, right? All right. Well, I'm really, really excited to be back with you today. Let me just give you a few quick announcements, and we're going to get right to it. We're going to get right to it, right? All right. Um, Laugh Impact is coming up this coming Monday. Um, Please come. I mean, it's just a blast. It's a fun night. Um, It proves that we can have fun in church. Okay, and I think God just loves it when we laugh together. Uh, River City Improv is a hoot, and they're, you know, if you've ever been to an improv performance of theirs, they're very audience interactive, and so um, it's just, just a lot of fun. But it's also a chance to find out what's coming up in Impact Ministries and also a chance to bring people who need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Because we will talk about Jesus. It's not, um, but we can laugh our way, uh, you know, throughout the night and really enjoy it. So um, it's five bucks still. There's an online uh, pre-registration that you can um, buy your tickets, or it's $8 at the door. But I'm just asking you, please come. A couple dates to think about. Thursday morning impact. Our kickoff is Thursday, September 12th. We're going to get right back to uh, praise and worship. Got a wonderful lineup. God's given me a real vision for this year. Um, he always does, and I'm excited about that. Monday night Bible study starts Monday, September 30th. Um, doing Priscilla Shirer's DVD series, One in a Million. Correct, Rachel? Yep. If you have any questions about that, Rachel's the hostess with the mostest for our, our Monday night Bible studies. And let me just tell you about something, too. Has anybody in here heard of Charlotte Gamble? The Ministry of Charlotte Gamble. Okay, you're about to get your socks blown off because she's got an amazing ministry. And we here at Resurrection Life Church um, are going to enjoy her ministry through a conference that is being put on here, which is open to everybody. It's for leaders. It's for anybody and everybody. And there's another, there's a lineup of some really great speakers called the Link Conference. And area churches from all over and far, far away, actually internationally, will be uh, attending. But they invited Charlotte Gamble. She's a, a, a powerful minister, Bible teacher. She and her husband um, pastor a church in England, so she has a delightful accent. And we, as a women's ministry, we're going to be hosting her for a special luncheon event. And you're all invited to come. Um, we're going to serve a beautiful lunch. It's going to be on Monday. I wrote it down. September 23rd, but, uh, but it is a ticketed event because we want to make sure we have enough food for everybody in attendance. But just to give you a little taste of what she's like, I want uh, for you to watch this video. Time to sit upright again, attentive to his presence, attentive to the fact that he is with you. He's with you in the workplace. He's with you in your family. He's with you in your home. He's with you in your quiet time. He's with you in the noisy times. But when you live attentive, you always are aware that you're not alone. And that means that the troubler can't have free reign in your mind because you are mindful that I'm not alone. So stop troubling me, enemy. I am not forgotten, so stop troubling me, enemy. My best is not past. 
So stop troubling me, enemy. My family is covered by the blood of Jesus. So stop troubling me, enemy. You've got to sit upright in your spirit and aware. All right. She's very powerful, dynamic. Uh, West Michigan will not forget her. She's, she's amazing. And so we wanted to just give you that opportunity. We're going to be posting the registration very soon. But hey, this last time I get to see you, so I wanted to give you the heads up. All right. Hey, girls. Here we are, session five. Can't believe it. And uh, my heart is so full. My heart is so full. I said, God, what, what is it that we need to know today? You know, Jesus in the last of chapters, I would say 14 through 16 of the book of John, he had his last opportunity to talk to his disciples before he went to the cross. I kind of feel like that. <laughs> Not going to the cross. But it's kind of like my last opportunity to <clears throat> sow into this thing this, that we fight our battles from a place of victory. We speak to mountains, and we've been given the authority, uh, the same authority that Jesus walks in. And I, I really believe, <clears throat> excuse me, God redirected where I thought I was going to go for a reason. And I'm going to ask you right now, to not begin to hear this message and say, oh, I've heard this all before. I've heard this all before. Because I will guarantee you there are deeper and deeper levels of understanding and revelation that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to you today. I remember going to a Kairos event, which is one of our freedom um, events, where you really just have time to sit before the Lord. And... I believe it was probably my 10th, 11th, or 12th one. I'm part of the ministry team, but I always, always, always get something fresh and new from God. And he showed me this picture, and you understand I'm not talking about an outer vision. It's just a picture in my mind. And I, there was this shower, like a beautiful, uh, almost like a, a rain falling down, a gentle rain. And I saw myself running into the rain, Staying there for a little bit, and then just running right back out. And then I ran back into the rain, and I ran back out. And I was kind of, I said, that's weird, Lord. <clears throat> what are you trying to show me here? And it was like he kind of downloaded the revelation all at once, so I'll just try and put it in a nutshell. Growing up, my father was a wonderful, wonderful dad. He was also a pastor. Uh, yeah, I grew up as a pastor pastor's kid. Um, thank God it stuck. I wasn't one of the rebellious ones, but um, my brother was. But anyway, um, <laughs> my dad, as I grew into a young woman, became more and more uncomfortable in showing me affection. And I, I understood his awkwardness. He was great with kids, but he didn't really know how to, to show me affection. And maybe he just was afraid of being inappropriate. But you know what? As a young woman, maybe 13, 14 years old, I remember saying to myself, I understand that my dad loves me. So it's okay. I get it, dad. It's okay. And I excused him. And I decided I was going to show him as much affection. It didn't matter if he felt comfortable with me or not. And, um, and so I grew up that way. And I do know and am confident that to this day, even though my dad has passed on, that um, I was fully loved by my dad, whether he was capable of showing it or not. And the Holy Spirit showed me, he said, you think you're okay with just knowing that I love you. He says, but you're not. 
You're not. You have not yet stayed in my presence long enough to experience my love in a deeper, more intimate way. I run in and say, that's enough, and run out. I'm good, God. I'm good. I really am. He says, no, you really are not. He said, because I have more love to lavish on you than you could ever imagine. Don't limit me. Stay. Let me pour into you. Let me show you things that you could not even imagine. And so I'm going to challenge you today. Don't just run in and say, I know this stuff, and run back out. I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit, because let me tell you something. This stuff to me, I believe it's so important, it's so foundational, that if we don't get it by revelation of the Holy Spirit, we cannot get it. And so let's just pray, Holy Spirit, I believe in the power of your revelation that you're bringing to us today. I believe that foundations are going to be made solid. Where we have been shaken before, we will now stand firm. I thank you, God, where there's been wrong believing and deception, that you're bringing truth and light, and that's what truly sets us free. I declare freedom this morning. I declare, Lord, that we're going to lay down preconceived ideas, And allow you to show us something brand new this morning. Oh, yes, Lord, something fresh. Something that we could not even have imagined that you want to bring to us this morning. And all God's impact girls said, amen and amen. There was a day not too long ago that God showed me another vision. And I've shared this before, but I have to share it again. That I, showed, uh, I saw this picture of a man kneeling in the grass on a grassy hill, and he was praying. He was looking up to heaven, and he was in so much torment, and he was in such desperation, and he was begging God, God, help me. He needed help. I don't know what the specific prayer was, but could you see that the man was so perplexed and in almost agonizing desperation for an answer to his prayer. And when I looked, uh, as I watched this unfold, it was like the camera panned up. Just stay with me. And it looked as if heaven had been peeled back and there was Jesus kneeling on the edge of heaven And he was looking down at the man. And I could tell that he could hear the man's prayer. But Jesus' face was very perplexed. Jesus' face was very troubled. And he was hearing the man's prayers, his desperate pleas and begging God to help him. And Jesus did something very, very surprising. I saw him cup his hand. And he yelled down to the man. Pick up the sword. Pick up your sword. Because lying next to the man was this beautiful, shiny, gleaming sword. But he never saw it. He didn't even know it was there. But the Bible says that the word of God is your sword. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. And when we lay down our sword... We are laying down the answer to what we are looking for. And in Revelation, the Bible also says that the picture of Jesus is in all his glory, 
that there is a sword coming out of his mouth. That's right. So not only are you to pick up your sword, which is the word of God, it needs to come out of your mouth. And you say, God, why didn't you answer his prayer? He did. He did. The answer is pick up your sword. And the answer is get it coming out of your mouth. We've been talking about speaking to mountains. Anybody been speaking to mountains lately? All right. We don't let our mountains speak to us. And we don't tell God about our mountains. You've been given the permission to use Jesus' name to speak directly to that mountain. So the answer is for each of us to pick up our sword. I cannot pick your sword up for you. You must pick up your own sword. Worksheet number one. We need not beg God for something that he has already given. That last word could also read already provided. Because why? Because it's finished. And there's a beautiful verse in 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. It says, for his divine power, which is Jesus, has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life. Everything that you need to live this spiritual life, this Christian walk, being a believer, walking it out, has already been provided through Jesus. How many, how many of you think that sounds pretty good? A dynamic Christian life. That's right. Should not be boring, girls. It's not boring to walk with Jesus. But we don't do it from a place of lack. Everything's already been provided for us and for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him. We need to know our God, don't we? So God has already provided that for us to walk in this dynamic spiritual place. And it's through relationship with him. It's knowing him. You know, your best friends are the ones whom you know the best and they know you. And even though they know you and they may know all your little secrets and all your little faults, they still love you. Just think about how much more our Heavenly Father knows us and still loves us. See, because one of the passions behind teaching this series is to bring revelation to those magnificent promises that we have. Because you remember the cheese and cracker Christians? They were living way below what was already theirs. And we talked about how... Everything that we need has already been provided. Are we receiving it? Are we believing it? Do we know that it's ours? And are we activating it in our lives? Oh, ladies, you are so powerful because the powerful one lives in you. And it should put demons on the run. I want them screaming when I walk into the room. I don't want any room to tolerate any works of the devil in our lives because we don't have to. Because Jesus did not. And as he is... Do you know the rest? So are we in this world. We could preach on that all day. All right. So we need to pick up our own sword. And see, when you begin to know your God, you do understand and you get a revelation that when I pray, he's not up there going duck, duck, goose to your prayer. He does not play around with your prayers. But he doesn't say, no, no, <laughs> maybe Wait for it. Yes! It's not duck, duck, goose. All of God's promises are what? Yes and amen. 
Does that not give you confidence to pray according to his faithfulness and to the promises that have already been absolutely provided because it's necessary for our spiritual dynamic life? Picture Jesus on the cross bearing your sickness, depression, the lack of any kind, because he took it in his own body both physical and emotional. It doesn't matter what you call it. I, it doesn't matter what the diagnosis. He already took it in his own body. And he hung on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 in the afternoon. And don't ever discount details like that because get this, temple sacrifices were offered twice a day at 9 o'clock in the morning and 3 in the afternoon. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, sacrificed himself on our behalf. And he hung there until it was all done. Because the Bible said no one took his life from him. He went through it. He could have died anywhere physically. It was almost humanly impossible to endure what he endured. And while he was on the cross, he became sin. He became sick. He was stressed and distressed with every kind of emotional trauma because he took it for you and then the bible says he looked up to heaven and he said it is finished it's done girls it's done and it's waiting for us to receive it to make a withdrawal because it's already been provided and i love this last part because no one took his life from him and the bible says he released his spirit and in the Greek, if you read into it, it just says he went, Whew. he willingly died. But he did it for you, and he did it for me. My husband was struggling with something, and God showed him a beautiful picture. He said, here I was carrying this burden, and I saw myself at the foot of the cross, and Jesus is on the cross, and Jesus is suffering, and I'm standing in front of the cross. And he said, Jesus, look down at me. He says, Bill, I'll take that. He grabbed it, and he paid for it. And my husband got free from that thing because Jesus already took it. If you'll release it to him, if you'll release it to him, right? All right, we're not beggars, ladies. We are not beggars. It honors God to partake of everything that Jesus paid. So great a price. Beggars approach God with the attitude, God, why aren't you doing something? He says, I've already done it all. Why aren't you doing something might be what he says. Why aren't you receiving it? And there are reasons why we don't. But you've been given permission. You have a legal document signed in blood right to partake of all that Jesus provided. So instead of praying, for instance, if I'm sick, I'm saying, Father, if it be thy will, please heal me. That's a beggar's prayer. A commander's prayer understands I have a right to that healing. And Jesus already said, I became sick for you. And then he said, it's finished. So he provided with stripes on his back every kind of healing that we need for every kind of sickness, every kind of disease. It doesn't matter how long it's been in your family. It doesn't matter how long you've been suffering with it because it's not hard when we receive from the finished work. And so better to pray, I thank you, God, 
and receive all the healing that you suffered so great a price for me. I'm receiving it. Body, you better line up with the word of God. Because the word of God says, I am healed, I am whole, and you can speak to specific pain, you can speak to a diagnosis, you, you, you're going to have to get out of your thinking, what if this doesn't happen? What if this doesn't work? You've got to stop that kind of unbelief, and you can do it just with a decision, I'm going to choose God over unbelief. And, and it might speak to you, but you don't have to listen, and you don't have to repeat it. You better not. Because what's supposed to be coming out of our mouth? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Speak the word, speak the word, speak the word. And your mind will say, oh, oh, I'm starting to get this. I'm starting to line up. And when your mind and your, your soul, your will and your emotion are lined up with your spirit girl, who is 100% on fire in agreement with the word of God, it's the same spirit of Jesus Christ that lives in you. That's why you went from death to life. There's no other way that it could happen. That's a third of who you are. Now two out of three of us, are in agreement with the word of God. And the, the body says, I guess I better line up. It doesn't have a choice because it's in the minority. Our majority is ruling according to the truth of the word of God. And ladies, that's how you get set free. That's how you get set free. Because your mind didn't get saved and your body didn't get saved. But your spirit girl, ooh, watch out. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead living inside of you. If you'll tap into it. It'll be a river of life, and your body won't have a choice when we line up with that. Does that make sense? All right. But you know what? There are some strategic battles being waged against every believer, and that's where I want to go today. We've been talking about this is how I fight my battle. This is how we fight our battles. And I believe we've got, we're getting more and more equipped to, to stand in confidence and to know what to do when the accuser comes. Because do you know that the, the uh, literal translation of Satan or Hasatan, as it is in the Greek, is not the devil, not Lucifer, but the accuser. And the way he comes against believers is to accuse you. And one of his best, I would say, weapons that seems to be very successful sounds like this. So you want to step out into ministry. And he says, who do you think you are? You don't read your Bible enough. You didn't go to Bible school Nobody is going to listen to you. Okay, just forget it. In fact, you just lied to your husband. Who do you think you are good enough to serve God? And if you shrink to that, he was successful in using the weapon against you. And that weapon is <laughs> condemnation. The weapon is condemnation. And I missed number two. Did anybody guess that? <laughs> Before we move on, I want to go into uh, worksheet question number two. Okay. You may ask, how do I pick up my sword? Let's go back, okay? All right. I know. I couldn't help it. I rhymed again. But how about this? Find the verse to reverse the curse and claim it as your own. Find the verse to reverse the curse and claim it 
as your own. Speak it out with a shout and let the devil know. Can I say it again? Find the verse to reverse the curse and claim it as your own. Speak it out with a shout. You let the devil know. You don't have a right here. Just go on. Get on. I'm not listening to you. You're a liar anyway. Let's go to number three. That weapon that comes against us that I believe is a battle that we all have to face that we can all be victors in is condemnation. Worksheet question number three. Condemnation robs you of intimacy with God. Condemnation robs you of intimacy with God. Condemnation causes you to focus on your own performance to justify yourself. I can't really pray until I read the Bible more this week. Make sure I'm good. Don't get so angry this week. And it causes you to hide from God when you're feeling unspiritual. Instead of running to God to get help. It causes you to constantly feel guilty and ashamed before God. As if he's always judging you. Condemnation causes you to disqualify yourself based on your performance, based on your behavior, based on how well you're doing, based on your self-effort. And it robs you of intimacy because you believe that he's disappointed in you, that he gets mad at you, he accuses you, he withholds affection from you because you are just not doing very good. You just have to try harder. You need to pray harder. That prayer didn't get answered because you didn't pray hard enough. Oh, my goodness. That's just full of condemnation because all it did is point everything to you and say, you're not enough. You're just not enough. Now, what kind of a relationship would you have? And I'm sorry if, if there's a name and a face popping up in your mind. But if somebody is constantly tearing you down and causing you to feel um, unworthy, there's a good word, and, and never good enough. I just can never do it right. I can never do enough for you, can I? That is a position of condemnation. And we know something about our enemy. He's a big, fat liar. So all those things that the devil is accusing you of, the opposite is actually the truth. And Jesus and God is not mad at you. Even when you're in the middle of sinning, he's not mad at you. Romans 2.4 says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Oh, we're going to see the goodness of God here today, ladies. It's so undeserved. But he's so good. He's so good. He's so good. But see, all these are symptoms of living with a filter of condemnation. And these lies are from the devil to short-circuit that intimacy, that level of intimacy, that level of power that is already yours. But we don't partake out of it. It's like throwing a roadblock in front of it, and we just run into the roadblock every time, and then we back out of the throne room. No, I can't have that face-to-face -face encounter with God until... I'm spiritually stronger until I do, do, do. But ladies, it's already been done, done, done for you. There, the new covenant 
I believe was one of the most important clauses that Jesus said. He said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins. I will remember no more. Guess who reminds you of your sins? The accuser. And it's part of his plan. It's part of his strategy. He wants you to believe that there's a wedge between you and God. There's a wedge in your relationship. There used to be. But how can, there, how can sin block us for real? It can block us in our mind if we have wrong thinking. But Jesus removed sin and washed it away. And you were forgiven 2,000 years ago. And so no long, And then the, the veil in the temple that separated man from the intimate presence of God was just ripped and shredded in half to invite you into his presence because you are no longer a sinner. Oh, who are we? We're going to get there. He took the sin away. It is not a roadblock unless you believe it is. And that's just believing a lie, and that's called deception. And deception is very deceptive because what is not true, you believe is true. So it's just very deceiving all the way around. It's very confusing. But that's part of the devil's strategy, right? All right, guess, and, and don't ever feel like I'm saying, you don't have to read your Bible. No, you don't have to pray. What's motivating that? What's driving that? If everything that you do for God is to make sure you gain more approval from him, then you're, you're operating from a place of condemnation. You think that you're not enough. You don't understand that when he looks, you, looks at you, he says, oh, I, I've removed that. I've removed that from you. And you can come into my presence anytime. And you can, you can be sinning and still come. That's not the way we want to operate. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But let's just keep going because we're going to get there. Worksheet number four. Stop depending on your own self-effort to earn or qualify for God's blessings in your life. Self-effort. Self-effort is a result of being motivated to gain favor from God by doing our own works. But you know what the Bible says about that? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Righteousness is right standing, isn't it? But see, we will never deserve God's love. But he chose to love us anyway. Before the foundations of the world, he says, I love you. On the day when the world showed its greatest hatred toward God by abusing and murdering his son, who was innocent, God was showing his greatest act of love to a world that rejected him. Ladies, that's love. That is unconditional, no strings attached, love. You do not have to do anything to get God's approval. He approves of you. When somebody said that to me one time, I just started bawling. I did not realize how much I was trying to get God's approval by being a good girl. Hey, I was a good girl. <laughs> and, but there's nothing to boast in that because it was, it was tormenting. It's exhausting to live your Christian life thinking that you always have to perform right and do everything good because that's impossible. And God knew that, and that's why Jesus lived the perfect life for you. He took your place. 
Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That should just, I should hear this, this, this uh, release of pressure in the air. It should go, let that lift the burden off your shoulders. Because not only does God not expect you to be perfect, he became perfect for us in your place, and then he gifted us with something so beautiful. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he, God, made Jesus, who knew no sin. There was no sin in him. He never had a wrong thought. He never sinned. But God made him sin to be sin in our place, and then he made us righteous, the righteousness of God in him. There is no righteousness apart from him. But if you're a believer, you're in him. Sometimes we think we're being very humble and spiritual and say, I'm just nothing without God. I couldn't do a thing if it weren't for the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you know what? That's true. But don't stay there because you are in him and he is in you. And that means that you don't have to hang your head as this poor, uh, helpless, hopeless weakling. You have, like we said, the same power that raised Christ from the dead living inside of you. And it's real. It is for real, ladies. One of my granddaughters says, for reals, Grandma, for reals. I want to say, for reals, impact lady, for reals. All right. So everything that we deserved... Jesus took, and he took our condemnation. He took our shame. He took our guilt. Sin had to be punished. God doesn't turn a blind eye to sin. And that's why the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there were the rituals. They had to kill lambs and spill blood and sprinkle blood. And they had goats and heifers and altars. And all this stuff had to be done, but it was just a temporary fix because Jesus became the final sacrifice. And it was his precious blood. See, sin came into the world through a man. Therefore, sin had to be conquered by a man, which is why Jesus had to become a man. And he fulfilled every demand of the law. He did it perfectly without sin. And he was the only one who could do it? And I picture Jesus in the garden. And some of his humanity was showing. He could have, I believe, he could have said, God, I'm not going to do it. You, you can't ask me to do this thing. Go to the cross and, and be separated from you. Become sin. I don't even know what it feels like to be sin. But I, I, I just can't do it. I can't. He said, God, if there's any other way, you know, please show me. But if this is your will, I will do it. He went to the cross willingly. He could have said, no, I don't want to. But he did it. Because I believe he, as he was on the cross, he looked to the beginning of time and every sin that had uh, been committed. And then he looked into the present. Every sin that was in the present and thank God, he looked to the future and every sin that would be committed. And ladies, that's you and that's me, was paid for in full. The wages of sin is death. But you do not have to hang on your own cross of guilt and shame because of sin. Yeah, we blow it. God knows it. But he still loves us, doesn't he? That is an amazing grace, is it not?
Worksheet number five. Righteousness is not right doing, but right standing before God because of right believing. Let's say that again. Righteousness is not right doing. You'll never be able to do enough. That is a bottomless pit, a demand that will never stop. So read your Bible because you love Jesus with all your heart. Here's what's going to start happening. You're just going to hunger for it. I need this. I get up in the middle of the night and I have to listen to one of my podcasts because I just need a little bit of grace, Lord. Before I go back to sleep, I want 20 minutes of this really great preaching because I really need to hear it. I get so hungry for it. I got to get me some grace, Lord Jesus. I got to get me some good news. And it keeps me moving. It keeps me thinking correctly. It keeps me lined up with my relationship with Jesus. It's so easy to get back into works. It's so easy to start feeling guilty again. God does not want you walking into the uh, throne room with your tail tucked between your legs and always saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Because he says, righteousness is not about right doing, but because he has repositioned you before God, it's standing before God because of right believing. So you'll never be able to do enough, but Jesus is enough for you. Philippians 3.9 says that we are found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, and that's the do, 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 do part of it, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Can you say this with me? Say, my righteousness is from God by faith because it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. That's right, because our own attempts, like we said, at righteousness are as filthy rags. Number six, righteousness is a gift to be received, not something to be achieved. Received versus achieved. But see, condemnation will say, you're unworthy. You don't deserve that. And the truth is, we don't, (laughs) but that's okay. Because God doesn't expect you to deserve it. He says, I'm just going to do this for you because I just love you. He's going to be good to you. He won't condemn you. He won't shame you. Let me just show you what I see. And Oh, if you've seen this 10 million times, you're going to see it one more. All right. But this is you. This is this beautiful pen, slender and sleek and, and shiny today. <laughs> and this is Jesus. And when you are saved, when Jesus is inside of you, when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been placed in him. And when God looks at you, he does not see sin. He sees Jesus. He sees righteousness. He sees holiness. Do you dare? Do you dare to believe that? And you know what that does to me? It causes my heart to say, God, you're too good. This is way too much. You shouldn't have. (laughs) Don't we say that sometimes? I can't hardly believe it. I can't hardly receive it. But please do. Please do. Because we don't want to discount everything that Jesus did for us. Amen. This is you found in him. That is why you can say with confidence, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
even when you sin. That doesn't make any kind of sense at all. But it's so amazing. And, you know, you start talking like this, and some people say, that can't be true. It's just too good to be true. I say, yep. But it is true. It's for reals, right? It's for reals. Worksheet number seven. The more you accept your righteousness identity, you have a new identity. You are no longer a sinner. You are saved. You are righteous. The more you accept your righteousness identity in Christ, the more victory you will experience over sin. Who wants victory in here? All right. You have to know who you are. You see, I don't believe we have a sin problem. I believe we have an identity crisis. We forget who we are, or maybe we just never knew. But um, you know now. <laughs> I'm making each and every one of you very accountable here this morning. But I love this scripture. Get this. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 in the King James Version says, Awaken to righteousness and sin not. Awaken to righteousness, your new identity, your new position. You're in Christ. You're just as holy when God looks at you as Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees nothing but righteousness. And sin not. Because let me just tell you a quick story. Do I have time? Ah! <laughs> a while ago now, there was kind of one of those comfort sins that I used to turn to. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's none of your business. But it was something that I turned to instead of turning to God. I said, oh, God will forgive me. It's okay. It was wrong. It wasn't sexual. I wasn't cheating on my husband. It wasn't anything like that. And as far as you know, it was an extra bowl of ice cream. It doesn't matter. But it was wrong, and I knew it, and I did it anyway. That's kind of a dangerous place to be, girls. But you know what? God's forgiveness is there for that. In fact, he already took care of it. But here I am trying to feel sorry enough. You shouldn't be doing that, Karen. I'm trying to beat myself up. But you know what? When you kind of repeat that, you get a little desensitized to that again. And I wasn't really sorry. And I just said, oh, God, I did it again. <sighs> sorry, but thank you for forgiving me. And I had another intervision, and I saw Jesus standing before me. He was standing right next to me. I had this beautiful, pleasant, accepting expression on his face. I felt like he was adoring me. And I didn't feel like I deserved that. But what he did it was as if he laid these cards out in front of me. And the whole time he's looking at my face like, yeah, no, no anger, no disappointment. And I'm like, what, what are we doing here? And as I looked at the cards, what he was doing is he laid my sin out before me. What I saw in his face was love and compassion. What I saw before me was the lie that I was believing that this would satisfy me more than this. And then I repented. Because you know what repenting seriously means? Repentance simply means a change in your mind. I saw it for what it really was. He wooed me. And loved me into repentance. He didn't beat me up. He didn't scold me. He didn't withhold his presence. He says, come on, girl. You don't need this. You need this. 
this closeness to him. And I experienced grace. It was so undeserved. I was guilty. But he had already removed my guilt. And he won me over with his love. See, we're not talking about making sin okay. But you are not just righteous and then lose your righteousness when you sin. And then you become righteous when you receive forgiveness. No, no, you're still in Christ. You're still in Christ. And it's because you didn't earn it by your well-doing and your good works. So you cannot lose it because you blew it. Does that make sense? Oh, that's too good to be true. Yep. That's God's love. It's too good to be true. But it's for reals. But it's not all right to sin. No, though sin does not unravel your righteousness or your right standing with God, it will unravel your life. And God's going to throw you a, a, a rescue line every chance he can get and woo you in and pull you in. You can resist it if you want to. But here's the thing. Awaken to righteousness and it will empower you to go and sin no more. Because I'll tell you what, I lost my appetite for that sin. That's not worth it. And it broke the power over it in my own life. All right. Number eight. Am I on track with you girls? All right. Instead of being sin conscious, we need to be forgiveness conscious. Sin conscious means you're always feeling guilty. Oh, no. Oh, no. I did it again. Oh, God. I can't come before you because I, I did it again. And I feel terrible. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. And it causes you to run away from God like Adam and Eve hid from God after they had sinned. Hebrews 10.22 says, let us draw near. And that tells me don't run and don't hide. Let's draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So an evil conscience is one that's perpetually conscious of sin and failure and expects punishment. And that is a conscience that's under condemnation, the same thing as an evil conscience. So let's be forgiveness conscious, not sin conscious. Righteousness conscious, not sin conscious. Grace conscious, not sin conscious. So is it okay? So what do I do? What, am I supposed to confess my sins? Am I not supposed to confess my sins? Well, how about this? How about when that comes to your change? You say, oh, man, God, I'm so sorry. But I thank you that you've already forgiven me 2,000 years ago, and I just receive it, that cleansing right now. I'm in the waterfall of your forgiveness, and it's finished. It's done. Move on. Move on. Do not hand the devil a club to beat you about the head and body with condemnation. When you sin, say, I have an answer for you, devil. It's finished, and I'm receiving. I'm still righteous. In fact, this is a true thing. Again, it doesn't make sense in, this, in the uh, natural realm, but it's a supernatural power when you receive your righteousness identity, not because we're so good, but because God is so good and Jesus did it for us, that when you're in the middle of sinning, and if you're caught in any kind of addiction, if you will remember, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it will break that power of sin over your life. It will awaken to righteousness and sin not. All right, I'm going to say something super controversial and I love it. All right, you ready? All right, worksheet number nine. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, so I'm just going to give the answer, all right? 
The Holy Spirit convicts you of your righteousness. Oh, I thought he convicted me of sin. I know we say that, but ladies, I'm going I'm to debunk that with you, can we? It's partially true, but I'm going to go to the Word of God. Anybody want to come with me? All right, we're going to John 16, 8 through 11. Here Jesus is explaining to his disciples, okay, I'm going away. They say, where are you going? Oh, you should know by now. I'm going to build mansions for you. But where I'm going right now, you cannot come. You know, they're like, what is going on here? You know, I'm going to die. Don't die. Stay with us. All that was going on. So Jesus is telling them something very, very important. He says, okay, guys, it's to your advantage that I'm leaving because in my place, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin. And somebody say, aha, I told you the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Let's keep on going. He will also convict of righteousness and convict of judgment. And if you stop there, you might think that God convicts us of sin. But then the next verse tells us, he explains it. He, he goes through it and explains that there are three different convictions for three different groups of people. And he says, number one, the conviction of sin is for those who do not believe in me. There was one time, if you're a believing Christian, there was one time that the Holy Spirit came to convict you of your sin. So it's partially true. But that was to draw you into relationship with him. If you don't have a need for a savior, you'll never ask him into your heart. You don't need him. I'm doing fine without you. But when you see your sin and you come to Jesus, you receive his grace. And then that is how we are saved. So that's the first one. But it's not for believers. It's for the unbelievers to, to do that supernatural uh, passing from death to life experience through the Holy Spirit to bring us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The second one was the conviction of righteousness. He's talking to his disciples. He says, uh, because I go to the Father and you're going to see me no more, the Holy Spirit is going to come at you. And when you sin, he's going to say, hey, 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 hey. You've forgotten who you are. You're righteous, remember? Righteous people don't do that. And you say, oh, oh, okay. Thank you for reminding me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not because I'm so good, but you're good in me. And I can say to sin, I need you no more. And you do not dethrone that righteousness from me. You can't steal it from me. But he comes to remind you of your righteousness. That's just for believers. And then the last one was conviction of judgment. And you might think, oh, no, God's going to judge us. Well, that day's coming, but that is not today. In fact, you... Your sins have already been judged, so don't fear judgment day, all right? That stuff's already been taken care of on our behalf. But who's going to get judged here? Because the ruler of this world is judged. He's talking about judging the devil. So unbelievers, yes, sin. For believers, not sin. Conviction of your righteousness, reminding you of who you are, and the judgment is on the devil. Do not confuse the voice of the accuser with the voice of the Holy Spirit. He will never convict you of sins. He will not condemn you of your sins. He will not humiliate you. He will not make you feel ashamed or tear you down or degrade you to lead you to repentance. He looked at me. He loved me. He wooed me. He says, come on, Karen. You've forgotten who you are. And I'm like, Jesus. Oh, the love of Jesus. And it broke that power of sin. <sighs> Remember, 
who does God say you are? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's all about being in Christ. Worksheet number 10. God's number one concern is to restore relationship. He removed the barrier of sin so that he could invite you in to have a face-to-face encounter with him. That rhymed again. (laughs) Does God want you to live with guilt and shame and condemnation for your sins? No, we are no longer sin conscious. We're going to be forgiveness conscious. And here's Romans 8, 1. This is, this is the trumpet blast from heaven. This is, you can stand on this. This should fill every crack in our foundation. This is something you can count on, something you can stand on. This is your answer to the devil when he accuses you and tries to heap condemnation on you. And it's Romans 8, 1. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. All right, devil, therefore, there is now no, put two little words in there, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. There is a blank at the end of that. Okay, I'm going to challenge some of you here. I put the New American Standard Version in that because it's there for a reason, because some versions will add another phrase. They will put a comma after those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's almost like they're putting a condition on this no condemnation because this is for people who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. I don't think that's the original. Well, let me just say it this way. As far as we can tell, that last phrase is an addition. It was not in the original text. I believe that Paul is saying that there is now, not later, but now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Are we in Christ? When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees all of Jesus. For those who are in Christ, end of discussion, period. It's not conditional on how well you're behaving or performing for God. See, I believe... We need to do the right things, but you will do the right things when you believe the right things, and it will cause the right things to well up from a changed heart and a love of God, because we don't need to live for God. Let's live from God. That's good, isn't it? (laughs) All right. So Paul wrote, it's very simple, lady. There's no condemnation anymore right now. There's none. Jesus took our place, took our condemnation, became sin for us. We can be made the righteousness, and we are. We have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not because we're so good, but because he is so good. And that will break the power of sin in your life. It will change you from the inside out, and actions will follow. Sometimes we think we have to change our behavior. That's called behavior modification in order for our heart to be changed. That doesn't work. And it's temporary, and you, it, will, it will only work as long as you have a strong enough will. But Jesus did it all. If you'll surrender to that, he'll do the work for you in your heart. I just want to close before we go to our discussion time. Just would you repeat this after me? And I want to hear you 
if you can say this with confidence, I am in Christ. Jesus became sin for me and made me as righteous as he. Therefore, therefore, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Take that, devil. That's how we fight our battle. Amen? All right, ladies. Um, Mia, all I can say is what, what a blessing it has been for me to rub elbows with all of you this summer. Um, my prayer is that you've received oh, truth that truly sets you free. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So, yes, we can be free. And, yes, we've already been made free. Are we walking in it? Amen. I believe it. I believe it.